0: Welcome to Episcopals, bringing you the latest in faith-based advocacy from the Episcopal Church Office of Government Relations. We're underway uh, with Lindsay Warburton from the Office of Government Relations. You know, in preparing for this, uh, I realized how overwhelmed I am uh, with just so many opportunities to reach out and advocate for important things going on in our government. Uh, you know, including things we often overlook, like rules and regulations. So I'm glad that you're here today to talk to that, talk about that with us.
1: No, absolutely. Um, and I know that we've asked our network to comment on a few rules, and we try to be so explicit with, with how to do it and how to go through it. And um, I feel like sometimes um, we just need to go back to basics and say, what even is a rule?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's legislation. Okay, that's clear. Federal, state, local level, okay. You know, still, still feel confident. I can, I can navigate that. But you know, it gets a little murkier. I think it feels like there's a higher bar uh, sometimes to engage with rules or regulations or executive orders. You know, is there really a way for us as advocates to have an influence?
1: One hundred percent. And I will be completely candid. Before, before starting this job four and a half years ago, um, I was also pretty in the dark. um, So have no fear. I'm, I'm happy to go through a little bit of the basics before we jump into um, the topic at hand. Um, I've been even more exposed to the world of, of rules and regulations since working in immigration
0: space as well. And speaking of basics, uh, Lindsay, I think this is your first time on the Polls podcast. So uh, <laughs> how about you uh, introduce yourself for our audience?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Lindsay Warburton, I'm our Immigration and Refugee Policy Advisor. Like I said, I've been with the office for quite a bit. Started out Um, As an intern, and have worked my way up. Um, I'm happy to be on the podcast. Happy this is finally happening. Um, This is great, um, and happy to be here. Thanks, Alan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm also, you know, just really pleased with our Western North Carolina uh, takeover.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Well, let's get into it then. Um, You know what? uh, What are regulations? You know, and how are I hear different terms: regulations, rules, executive orders, uh, memos. Uh, what are regulations? How are they different from rules? Uh, what's sort of the process there? Kind of some definitions for us.
1: Definitely, um, I think we where we have to start is the law of the land, which is Congress and what they pass, often referred to as statute, right, or the U.S. Code, right. That is, you know, that's the the fundamentals. Although, if you want to go back even further, you can go back to the Constitution, which the laws of the land have to um, follow. Uh, but that is that, you know, that's the strongest way that we can that we can pass laws and 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 take action, right? Um, regulations or rules, I think they're pretty interchangeable. Um, regulations are often thought of kind of um, in conjunction as a whole, and whereas rules are kind of specifically, but a rule is just a regulation. Um, and rules and regulations are to interpret uh, the statute, the law that got that gets passed. Um, and sometimes Congress passes laws and they don't know exactly how they're going to be and how they're going to work in practice. And so part of the purpose of rules and regulation is to interpret that. There's a immigration example, for example, that said, you know, the attorney general will set how many days a tourist is allowed to be in the United States, um, and then rules and regulations were used to interpret that and uh, determine an adequate number of days. What the, does that actually look like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll get more into you know how rules are are created and proposed. Um, executive orders are are similar; they have a basis in um, in statute and and in the legislation, but they're a little bit easier to go through. Um, but they also are easier to take away as well. Um, sometimes you'll often hear of memorandums as well. We might as well go through the whole executive sure, order.
0: absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, rundown memos are, are the le- kind of the least holdup. And those are really guidance for executive agencies uh, based on rules and based on, on law as well. So that's kind of a, your basic idea of, how executives might take action as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that. And so, I mean, I, I this is not a, an area I'm an expert in by any means um, and certainly I mean, being no. <laughs> in the operation space. Yeah. It's one where you have to be um, yep. much more versed in this type of action um, for a number of reasons. In part, you know, it sounds like the level of specificity that's needed uh, you know, uh, this it's a tool for, for being more specific, but also uh, on, at times when Congress is, it's not acting, um, you know, on particular issues like immigration. There are ways or at least attempts at stepping in in different ways uh, to tweak our immigration policies.
1: Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head and particularly in the immigration space. Um, it is practically the only way things are getting done. But
0: yeah, yeah. Believe. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, using executive orders or or others as well, that they can sort of be, quote unquote, taken away. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I hear that as sort of thinking of examples of the past few presidential administrations. Executive order use is is higher, I think, than it has been historically. Um, And some of those executive orders are simply to undo an executive order of the previous Mm -hmm. presidential administration. Um, So using, I mean, that as an example, but maybe there are others. What are what are the pros and cons uh, to taking action through through rulemaking?
1: Yeah, I think rulemaking is similar, but um, as I mentioned, it has a slightly higher th- threshold than executive orders. Um, it's it's probably the the most extensive after passing laws. Um, you know, some of the pros is that um, it does have a little bit more standing than an executive order, and why is that? Because the rulemaking process um, has a process, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the, the administration's job is to determine what the basis is in the law to, in order to make this rule and regulation, they propose it, um, and they propose it to the public. Um, they publish it. Um, and there's usually a public comment period, um, that anyone, anyone can participate in. It's a little bit hard because some of these are pretty technical, um, but they have to open it up for public comment. Um, and that is part of a law from Congress that says that anytime you make a rule, you have to you have to open it up for public comment um, before you finalize it, right? Um, and so there is that level of input that we typically don't get with an executive order or a memo um, that comes with rules and regulations that not many people are are aware of um, as well. So that's a pretty big pro in that we have the opportunity to engage um, mm-hmm. if we if we so choose. Um, and also, the pro rulemaking is, as you mentioned, it can go into law uh, quicker than passing legislation through Congress, right? Um, it's something that can take between 30 and 60 days for the comment period. And after that, depending on, you know, the administration does have to go through every single comment and respond to it. But depending on that, the turnaround can actually be pretty quick, especially if the public isn't paying attention. Um, this can go yeah. through fairly quickly, which I think. Uh, can be a pro depending it can be a pro for the administration or it can be a pro for the public. I think it de- depends. Um, and as I mentioned, the biggest pro to rulemaking is it clarifies when the law isn't clear. Um, and so it can really give some meat on the bones of, of legislation, so to speak.
0: Sure, sure. It sounds like a, a lot of this these types of actions are maybe just sort of part of the process, right of of implementing a legislation, implementing law once it's passed. Uh, I'd love to hear more about the role of rulemaking when it comes to immigration. Uh, what are some of the biggest rules in the immigration space, and uh, you know how are you influencing it or or even guided by uh, by that reality?
1: You know, I spoke on the pros of of rulemaking, but I think immigration has proven some of the cons of it. You can do the reverse process, the reverse comment period, to withdraw rules that sub that uh, subsequent administrations uh, propose. Um, and there's a lot of legal challenges to these rules. Um, there is legislation that governs how you can make rules, like I said, and so you can sue if the if the administration does not go step by step uh, with how they're proposing those rules. Um, in addition to the substance of the of the rule, which is challenged often, so that's really tough. And we and we see that in, in the immigration space. But I'll zoom out a little bit. As you mentioned, rulemaking and and executive action has kind of taken the front seat in in the immigration space in particular, and that's primarily because of lack of congressional action. Um, We had a comprehensive immigration bill in 1986. We've had a few more niche bills in 1990, 1996, 2006, if you count border policy as immigration, and then since, you know, since really... This century, we've really kind of failed, and when I say we, I mean Congress. Right? There's been lots of legislation on the table that just not has has not gotten past the finish line, um, and so in that absence, you're going to get um, executive action. Uh, you know, probably some of the most notable is something like the 2012 DACA memorandum that started as a memorandum. President Biden actually codified that as a rule which now we know what that is, we codified that as a rule in order to protect it against the legal challenges that are happening in the court, right, um, as well. But I think immigration, there's also, you know, lots of other um, rules that we might not think about. There's been rules on on public charge, on temporary workers, um, pretty much anything you can think of to to interpret this law because the immigration law uh, act of uh, 1965 is actually pretty bare bones, as I mentioned at the beginning. Um, and so we have an entire, I mean, books of just regulations that are interpreting uh, these laws. And most of the immigration laws and rules that get pat, the rules that get passed are pretty, are pretty small. Um, we tend to pay attention when there's big, big threats to asylum or public charge or things like that. But there's actually a lot of minor things that, that go on um, every single day. Uh, but we've seen a really high level engagement from the advocacy community on these. You know, I think the most recent rule on asylum that the Biden administration proposed, which has now gone into effect, had tens of thousands of comments. Um, and so I think really since the Trump administration, we've seen an increase in engagement on in the rulemaking space. Um, that doesn't come without its challenges. I'm sure that you've seen some of the states are, are suing the Biden administration and the Trump administration. So that's what some of this increased attention to rulemaking has resulted in, as particularly on immigration. Um, states, both Republican and Democratic states, have been suing the federal government based on rulemaking. I mean, as I mentioned before, they are allowed to sue not just on the substance of the rule, whether it is in line with the statute, they're able to sue if the if the administration doesn't propose the rule in the right way, if they do a memorandum when they really should have done a public uh, comment period, right? Um, so we're seeing an increase in that. Uh, and a lot of these cases are going up to the Supreme Court. Um, and so what we're also seeing in the immigration space is an increase in in rulemaking because of congressional uh, inaction has led to an increase in courts kind of interpreting these decisions and their legality. It's kind of an interesting space to to be in right now.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, then it sounds like it takes a a keen and diligent eye. So in previous, uh, you know, trainings and, and episodes, we've talked about the need For advocates to have a good story, to know the topic very well, but also that they don't have to be an expert. But in some ways, what I'm hearing, you know, again, I mentioned I was overwhelmed by the opportunity, but I'm also overwhelmed, you know, by the detail that is required to track some of these rules and regulations. But, you know, I'm grateful that that you are here in the Office of Government Relations to track this from an immigration point of view. Uh, And I know rules and regulations don't just apply or happen uh, with immigration policy. it really is across the issues that we advocate on, Um, the environment may be one of the other larger sort of areas uh, where um, rules and regulation changes, executive orders, et cetera, are critical to how our country moves forward uh, and are also opportunities for the general public to engage, uh, as you mentioned, through public comment. So uh, thank you for your time today, Lindsay. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Um Absolutely. May I give just a tip to our audiences? Um, Please. You know, if you're wanting to dip your toes in, I mean, obviously we have um, occasional opportunities through the EPPN to get involved, but there's something called the Federal Register. They publish all executive actions. Um, and so just check it out. I mean, they'll, you know, the asylum rule that we mentioned, they'll give background and information, you know, you are welcome that you might have to do a little bit more of your own research, but um, don't let that be an obstacle. Check out the the Federal Register online and and explore a little bit so that when the next one comes up, you'll be a little bit more um, informed as well. And just, as we've always said, you don't have to be an expert. You just have to care and and put your voice out there. And uh, with a little bit of research and a little bit of time, um, hopefully we can make a difference.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that, Lindsay. I appreciate it. And A reminder too that even if some of us may be frustrated with the the slow pace you know in congress or or maybe the lack of opportunity to engage there that there's still ways to to seek out you know action uh
1: definitely well thank you alan
0: absolutely thank you lindsay uh, and have a good uh, good rest of your day the office of government relations aims to represent the policy priorities of the episcopal church to the U.S. government in Washington, D.C., and to influence policy and legislation on critical issues, all while highlighting voices and experiences of Episcopalians and Anglicans globally. The office facilitates the Episcopal Public Policy Network, a grassroots network of Episcopalians engaged in the Ministry of Public Policy Advocacy. Take action and learn more by following the links in the description. The Episcopals podcast is produced by the staff of the Office of Government Relations with the support from our podcast engineer, Ellie Singer, and project manager, Chris Sekema. Thanks for listening and join us next time on Episcopals.
1: You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The Revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your Diocesan Revival Champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec lovealways.